This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Master Jason Campbell. And actually, I didn't even want to do it. It was my business partner. Um, you know, kept saying, you know, write music for our organization. I'm like, I don't want to do it. Too much work, because I know how much work it was. I, did, I don't want to do it. You know, finally convinced me to, and I did one album that I couldn't stop. Now I can't, I can't stop. But I wanted to, I can't. I, I tried to stop a few times, I couldn't. And so, but here, here was the thought process I, I, I had to go through. I had to say, okay, what am I going to do? Well, guess what? I'm never going to be the best at playing Bach on the piano. I'm, I can play Bach. I'll never be the best. I'm never going to be the best at show, playing Chopin on the piano. I can play Chopin. I can't. I'm never going to be the best jazz pianist. You know, I, was, I, I don't play that anymore, but I was, tra- I was trained as a kid as a, as, as, as a jazz pianist. At one point in my life, I, I, I did. I don't even listen to jazz anymore, but at one point, I really did. And so what can I be the best at? Like, like what can I be the absolute best in the world? Well, there was only one thing. I could be the best in the world at playing Jason Campbell music. No one can do that better than me. <laughs> now, granted, I'm only competing with one person. So yeah, like you automatically win. You're simultaneous. It's like having a sporting league and you're the only team. So you come in first place. And so I said, okay, all I need to do and focus on is be the best version of me in this, like in, in doing music. Don't try and be anybody else. And, and everyone else has a different sound and different things they do. It doesn't matter. It, it actually, for what I did for a while, I stopped listening to anything else. I didn't want to even have, I didn't want to listen to anything. I mean, that's not a long-term plan. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Today's episode is part one of my conversation with Master Jason Campbell, who is a practitioner and teacher from Zen Wellness. Jason comes from a background in uh, with classical piano training. He studied at Berkeley. He also grew up studying martial arts, meditation, qigong, tai chi, many of these Eastern practices and Through his Zen wellness business, he and his partners have developed various programs and techniques and many offerings that you can check out in order to explore your own uh, Zen wellness experience, I guess. But um, Master Campbell began bringing his classical music training into this endeavor I think in this interview, he said maybe seven, six or seven years ago. So today we talk a lot about that, about how he has developed his meditations for mute, um, excuse me, how he has developed his music for the meditations they teach at Zen Wellness, as well as many other um, practices and ideologies and techniques that we can use in our daily lives as well as how to implement them into our clinical practices. So as I said, this is part one of my conversation with Master Campbell. Stay tuned for part two next week. Um, Also, if you're enjoying the show, please let us know by leaving us a review on iTunes if you're listening on there. You can also find us on social media. We are at Music Therapy Chronicles on all the platforms and you can head over to our website musictherapychronicles.com to sign up for our newsletter where you can get some exclusive content as well as sneak peeks of who's coming up to be on the show if you see someone um, scheduled to be on the show and you have some questions for them the best way to get your questions answered is by becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. 
Uh, and lastly, if you're looking for opportunities to get CMTE credits for listening to the show, listening to the show, excuse me, you can check out MT Podcast Collective, where we're selling pod courses that are based on uh, your podcast listening time. So I think those are all the important announcements for today. And let's get into this conversation with Master Campbell. All right, Master Campbell, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. <laughs> How are you today? Hey, good. Thank you for having me. Good. Um, so I've said this to you, but just so the listeners know this going into this episode is uh, you are such a wealth of knowledge and I could just listen to you talk for hours about already you've taught me so many things in the couple minutes we've been getting ready for this interview. So I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us and just learn all sorts of stuff. But to start us off, can you tell the listeners about yourself? Because you are one of my guests who is not a music therapist. So um, tell us about your world and your music. Okay, well, let's see. Let's let me let me let me start with the story. And the story goes back to 1978. <laughs> and I was eight years old. And it was my introduction to piano. And I can remember. I remember like this was yesterday. My music teacher said to me, never ever listen to notes. Idiots listen to notes. Masters listen to the space in between the notes. Because when you just focus on a note, your head is cluttered. You don't hear anything. When you listen to silence, your mind clears and you hear everything. And as the little eight-year-old boy, I just said, okay, I didn't know anything, you know, and we just, and we would hit a note, um, we just play one note in the, in the, on the piano, and we would spend time just listening to the note dissolve into nothingness, mm. and there's that magic moment of, you know, quiet, 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 and it goes from nothing, like the vibration, that, that moment, and it's not really even a clear moment, but it goes from sound to silence, and we would focus on that, and I can remember that that you know, it, it was a form of meditation. We didn't call it meditation. And so I did that in my childhood and I was very, like in all my musical experience, and, you know, and, uh, when I was doing whatever I was doing, you know, in music at that phase of my life, there was always this energy of silence and deep, deep listening. And a decade later in my late teens, when I was formally trained in meditation and martial arts and yoga and Qigong and oriental medicine, you know, and I, I started down that path, I was able to, I said, well, wait a minute, I've already been doing this for 10 years. We didn't call it meditation. We called it deep listening. So my entry point into really Zen and meditation was through sound, but was it really sound or was it more the silence? Because see, silence creates sound. You can't, you can't have sound without silence and silence is like the canvas in a painting for, for example the word exist is latin it means to stand out but then you say to stand out from what well to stand out from nothing to stand out from space or we can use the word emptiness and so you know because i'm, I'm talking about sound but then you can even look at form and matter and any matter that exists is because it stands out of nothing and so it's kind of the same thing. So what are some analogies? You can say the canvas and the painting. You can say the space and the form. You can say the silence and the sound, the no thing, which is nothing, the no thing and the thing that comes out of it. And so the discipline is not just looking at or listening to the sound or even a visual discipline. Don't just see the thing, see the space around the thing. And that's kind of a, you know, that was, you know, it's, it's artistic, it's, it's, you know, there's some artistic mastery that goes involved in this. And then here, I'll, I'll give you another story since you didn't ask. And we, we, let's go ahead a few years. I was a teenager and uh, I have an uncle actually in your neck of the woods who is a master, aunt and uncle, they're, they're master artists and, and they're painters. And they paint these big, beautiful murals, you know, landscapes. And it was beautiful. And he said, I was a teenager. And my uncle said to me, he says, 
he says, look at this painting right now. It's one of his paintings. And there was like some grass, some flowing grass. And he said, what do you see? I said, grass, no. What do you see? Uh, green, no. What do you see? Uh, flowing grass, no. <laughs> what do you see? And I couldn't get it right to say everything. Uh, then I thought I'd get tricky. Uh, jade, flowing, swaying jade. No, 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 no. No, it's all wrong. And he says, look closely, really, really look. And I was looking, I was looking. And it's like, ah, I don't know. And so he gave me the answer. And the answer, he said, the absence of red. Mm. And I remember that hit me like a lightning bolt. Like that was, that was a profound aha, because now, you know, if you go primary colors, you have red, blue, and yellow. And so if you mix blue and yellow, you get green. So you can look at something as green or you can look at it by what it's not. Everything except red. So if you take everything, all colors that exist, you throw it down and you just pull out the red, you get green. So what is it? Is it green or is it the absence of red? Well, depends on your viewpoint. Like it depends on, depends on your lens. And then if we go back 2,500 years, the, the great Siddhartha Batam, also known as Buddha, the first Buddha, there's been many Buddhas and there are many Buddhas. He was asked the question, what is enlightenment? By one of his students. And he was, his answer was the removal of suffering. And a very interesting answer to that question. If you notice, he didn't say what it was. He said what it's not. He, he answered it in terms of what to pull out, not to what to put in. Mm. And, you know, and then, you know, the students, you know, contemplated it and came back the next day and said, you know, okay, that's what it's not, but what is it? And he smiled and was silent. He said nothing. Very wise. Because also, oh, well, enlightenment is this and then this and then this, and everyone would have written it down and it's this step and it's this step and would have missed the entire point. Yeah. So he, he couldn't give you the checklist, the four things to enlightenment because it doesn't exist. So he pointed to what it is by saying what it's not. The removal of suffering, you know, it's like I take you or, okay, so, so listener, I'm talking to you right now. I'm going to take you and I'm going to reach into your head, whatever, your soul and your heart, and I'm going to pull out all your suffering. What's left? Well, we could use the word enlightenment. We could use many words for it. You could say happiness. You could, I mean, whatever you want to say for it. So there's, you know, so it's not just what it is, it's what it's not. And, and all three of those examples really, really uh, tie together because ultimately it's a form of meditation because one of the things I do is I, I help, I mean, we, you know, we teach meditation. I've been teaching it for a very, very long time. And a, a lot of uh, our members come to us either having never meditated or felt like they tried to meditate and failed. Mm and couldn't meditate or, you know, you're sitting in a meditation class back when, you know, we used to do that. You know, if your eyes closed, secretly opening them, looking around left to right, what the hell is going on? Is that, am I the only one that's not having an experience here? Or, or So many people have that and they won't say anything. Oh yeah, no, I'm meditating really. And especially, you know, entrepreneurs. And a lot of music therapists are entrepreneurs, whether you know it or not. And we help them get really clear on what is meditation. Okay, so the very, very simple way of thinking about it is the ability to stop the incessant stream of thinking. Because right now we have a voice in your head. Like the, there's a voice that goes blah, 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 blah. And right now there's a voice that's commenting on this conversation that we're having. And when you can create the stop, the pause, the mm, shut, the, shut the monkey mind up, chain the monkey to the tree as the saying goes and have moments of no inner dialogue, that's the form of meditation. Now we're talking to musicians and guess what? You've already had this, you've already done it. It's one of the things that bring people to music and bring, bring you to sound is it, it has the ability to turn off the inner dialogue, you know, like naturally, or maybe not thinking that is the goal, but it happens. Like when you get chills and some type of music gives you chills, and you would not be listening to this podcast if at some point in your life, some type of music <laughs> did not give you chills and you were not completely moved by it and had this whole, you know, emotional and spiritual experience by, by through sound, you know, whatever the genre is, whatever the artist, whatever, 
it doesn't matter. It was sound really, really moved you. And it stopped the incessant stream of thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a powerful, powerful experience. And part of meditation is building the muscle where you have an off switch where you can turn it off. Oh, and granted, it, it, the problem is it has an automatic on switch. You know, it's like an air conditioner. It'll, oh, it'll kick back on. <laughs> you don't have to worry about turning it on. It'll happen naturally. Because we say chain the monkey to the tree, which means stop the monkey from talking. But you have to realize the monkey is a master locksmith. And the monkey will escape. It'll get out and it'll start going blah, 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 blah. And have the, uh, and have the inner dialogue. So I, I, I think I just ran a full circle to your, your, beginning, your beginning question that you just asked me. <laughs> well, it's a tough question because you do so many things and through Zen Wellness, you guys are doing so many things. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that for anyone who like has never heard of Zen Wellness, just, you know, what the offerings are so they can check them out and I'll link to yeah, whatever. Well, well, what we do is there's actually three types of meditation. Because when we think of meditation, you usually think of, okay, you know, the monk sitting on the mountain and in, in sitting there. And a lot of people don't want to be a monk sitting on a mountain. It's like, no, I got things to do. I can't go and, and sit on a mountain. I, I mean, okay. I do run up and down mountains. I do that based on, you know, where I live out here in Arizona. Uh, however, you know, I, I don't spend my whole day. I, I have a lot of things I got to do also. So I'm, I'm, I'm knee deep in the world. Um, you know, my, my, my kids are older right now, but when I went through, you know, raising kids, so I've, I've done all that. So we don't have to think of meditation that way, but there's actually three types. And what we say in Zen wellness, it's there's sitting, standing, and moving meditation. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's back up. We're fundamentally made up of three things, matter, energy, and consciousness. And the matter is everything you can see, touch, and feel. It's called your body. The chi, the energy, is the bioelectric energy that animates us. Without that, we, we can't live. Or we can also call it breath. We can also call it emotion because you can't see emotion. You can't hold emotion in your hand. You can see when emotion is in something. You can see when the emotion's in a face or emotion's mm -hmm. in a body, but you can't see the emotion separate. So we would consider emotion as energy that you can't see with your eyes, but you can feel it. And then the last one is we call it shun or consciousness and that's the eternal I am. That's the little dollop of divine that you know that we all that we all have. That is the that which observes your thoughts. The observer. When you learn to just look at your thoughts, because we're not our thoughts. Thoughts are free flow. And then there's a, an observer that watches the thoughts. That's the eternal I am. Because there's a, a, a teaching in the word human being, and the human part is very different than when we were both eight. The being part is exactly the same. Mm. The being part doesn't change. And so we're made up of these, we have this two, you know, these two, these two components. So, okay. So we're made up of matter, energy, and consciousness. And then we can take that into the practice and into the discipline. We call it sitting, standing, and moving meditation. So there's the sitting meditation. There's also standing meditation that circulates chi or circulates energy. And then there's the moving meditation, which helps with vitality and, you know, and, in movement it makes you healthy it makes you strong it, it stops stagnation of energy and if you're you know listening as a creator and i love talking to to musicians um you know maybe we maybe even we get technical we'll see we'll see where this goes like because i usually don't get technical with most audiences and uh, as part of the creative process it's it's like the if you really want to supercharge your creativity stop thinking mm. and go to the point of nothing and go to the point where you're just are, are completely still. It's like, it's like you're in a big empty room with no sound and no dialogue. And when you can get to that point, that's how I compose. That's why, that's how I'm able to, one of the reasons I'm able to put out a tremendous amount of new music and new material. Um, last Friday, I, I put out my 23rd album in 23 months. I, I, I release an album, I do the last Friday of every month is my thing, I, I, I do a new album. And it comes from that, like dropping into nothing and just waiting. And you wait and, and, and a theme always comes, an idea always comes out of that. Sometimes it takes long, sometimes it's short. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's a lousy thing, it's like, wow, that's junk, throw that away, but okay. 
you know, you, you, you try not to judge in that point, just see what emerges. And then look, and a theme, an idea, a concept comes out. And then within my process, I'll say, oh, well, what are you? Mm. What are you? Are you yin or are you yang? Are you, I mean, then I go into the elements and we have a whole thing that we do in the I Ching. Are you wood? Are you fire? Are you, you know, and, and, that, and sometimes it answers, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it evolves into a beautiful theme. Sometimes, you know, not. Sometimes it, it, it's very nice to me. Sometimes it taunts me. <laughs> you know, sometimes themes are mean when you start talking to themes. <laughs> very few of us can understand that. So, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, and that's kind of that, that process of turning off. So, okay, so back to answer the question is, you know, what is Zen wellness is, is that's what we teach. And, and then what I've done is, uh, you know, I score, I've scored all the, the, you know, the movement that we have in the meditations. I've, I've written music for it that go with, you know, there's movement, breath movement and intention. So you're not just, you know, doing movement, there's breath in each movement and there's mind that you put into everything that you do. And then it's all scored. And then in all the music, there's a, there's a teaching in the music. Like I did a set of nine albums that were uh, taught the five elements, wood, fire, earth, metal, water, not literal wood, not literal fire. It's a metaphor for the repeating pattern of five. Think pentatonic scale. Mm. Like things in nature show up at five. We have five fingers, we have five toes. We have five senses. We have, you know, you, you take the musical notes and it's, it, there's a real easy, you know, five, you know, that, that it can, you know, between octaves, we can, we can divide it into. And like every culture, pretty much every culture, almost every culture has agreed on these five notes in these five, you know, these five tones. And so the, the five elements is like seeing the matrix, you know? And so, you know, th that series of albums was, was putting into it wood, sprouts and shoots up fire goes up and disperses earth is flat and sweet this is like the themes metal mm. splits and goes downward a little bit of grief and water flows downward so so it's like that i put that in a musical language into you know five minute songs with the bell every four seconds it forces you to breathe i mean so it's kind of like kind of like having a custom suit you know or a custom dress in the for the movement that we did um and so we, we've been doing that for a long long time it, it, it's zen wellness i mean we have you know online programs over the years we've had retreat centers I mean, we sold one of our retreat centers a few years ago but we, we had 10 years we did that um a lot of it with the pandemic was online I mean, we have bricks and mortars but it kind of shifted to a uh you know to online uh online training and online program yeah that's actually uh where i discovered you guys online because you started mm. doing the the daily meditations when the pandemic started you you would come on live every day and do a meditation the sitting standing moving um and it was awesome you helped so many people i know through through the that offering so thank you and that's really cool that was a very spontaneous thing you know a little a little story about that how that started was uh my assistant you know Gilliani, who's been with us forever and she's a, an amazing teacher you know, and she runs uh, a lot, a lot of Zen wellness. And uh, this is towards the beginning of the pandemic. And she said to me, she says, do you want to do a, a Zoom meditation? I said, no, I don't. I'm, I'm doing other stuff. She said, okay. And this is a Sunday morning. She calls me up at like nine. She goes something like, I don't remember the number. Maybe it was like 400. She goes, I have 400 people that are going to be waiting for you at noon. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, I said, wow. Like we joke about it, you know, because she, she knows that I, I can't not show up if you tell me that. It's, it's like four, if there's 400 sincere people that want to do this, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll show up. And she knew that about me. So I, we were joking about that. And, and, you know, good job to her. And then that started, well, let's do a week of a meditation challenge because it's the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, let's do another one. And then let's do another one. I don't know. I don't even know how we did. It was months. a lot. We didn't, <laughs> yeah, we did until I, I spent a month in L.A. each year. So we did it until until I went to L.A. in the summer. And I felt like if you remember, I don't know if you saw Forrest Gump. Remember when he was running to the edge of like the town and oh, I'll go a little more. Then I'll go a little more, and a little more. That was that was what we did during the pandemic with the meditation challenge. Uh, yeah, let's do one more week. Uh, OK, one more week. And then it just, it's no, you know, it turned into a big, uh, you know, a, a big thing, but thank you for saying that. That was, that was a lot of fun yeah. um, when we were doing that, that whole process. Well, it also paralleled um, everyone's reality with thinking things would quote return to normal in one more week, in two more weeks. So it was nice to also yeah. have you guys being like giving us all something to look forward to and a grounding practice that, um, you know, to help us get through the week. So it, it, it was wonderful, and I I wanted to highlight that. But uh, well, you know, it's also it was it was the forced look inward. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, and, and we and we call that it's like uh, you reverse the light. We call that. So, you know, as opposed to shining the light outward, you reverse it and you look inward. And it's like an inward journey because we have outward journey, and we're pretty much taught outward journeys. Mm. You know, and a lot of out, out, outward journey, and, and you know, and a lot of, you know, just a lot of societies about the accumulation of things, <laughs> the movement of matter. You know, and I need more stuff and everything. And you got to have stuff, and you have to have a certain amount of stuff. Uh, but I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And, you know, and a lot of times it's easy to get into the more, more, more. You know, into the more, more, more. What point? What? I mean, how much do you really need? You know, uh, I remember what a Taoist master would always say to me is, you know, years ago, he would always say, you don't need to put everything in your pocket. <laughs> you know, some things is fine the way it is. Don't, no, don't put that in your pocket. I mean, how much, you know, do you, you know, do you really need? And that's a lot of the stuff I do with entrepreneurs is, is okay, fine. Great job. You, you did and you have a certain level of success in things, in matter, but let's turn the light and let's go inward and let's look at you because, you know, there's this thing called impermanence. Okay, I was taught this as a teenager. I was taught, it's even in the wording, because you say, this is my shirt. No, it's not. This is the shirt I wear. This is not my shirt, it's the shirt I wear. This is not my guitar, it's the guitar I play. This is not my house, it's the house I live in. Now, from a legal viewpoint, <laughs> let's be practical. Sure, I own my shirt and you own those guitars in the back of the wall and we own the car. Okay, whatever, that's legal viewpoint, let's be practical. Hmm. But from spiritual viewpoint, you don't own anything because at some point you and the guitar and the shirt and the car are going to part ways. And we can even take that a step further and we can say, this is not my body. It's the body I live in. Ooh. Now there's actually space between your consciousness, the eternal I am and your situation. It's like, you can say, you know, it's, it, this is my life. No, this is my life situation or this is my life story. And it's a real subtle wording but it creates space between you and the object. And when there's that little dollop of space, it helps you to be in a situation and respond and not react mm. to it because there's an inner peace that comes with it or an inner tranquility. Now you can have external chaos and that's always, I mean, you know, a lot of life is external chaos because everything is impermanent and so much of life is the movement of matter, the movement, the shoveling of things, moving a thing from here, then a thing goes here, then I have a thing, then I give this thing to you. And, oh, we have this monetary system of, of, that represents things and what you can buy with things and we're moving things. And okay, well, that's life and we have to be practical and that's the human, human condition. Um, but you have to remember the eternal I am. And when you remember that, everything just gets a little lighter. Mm -hmm. Things aren't as, you know, things aren't as heavy. And a lot of times sound brings you to that because the first, the first sense that we develop in the womb is the ears. The first sound you hear is the mother's heartbeat. And if we go into uh, Eastern medicine, the ears are connected to the kidneys. Ears, ki kidneys, brain, bones, we call it water element. We don't have to get, you know, for too it. much on that name, but it's, it's you know, that's all like one, one set of function. The kidneys are the batteries in the body. So the kidneys are like, if you have like a little toy soldier where you put the two batteries in the back, well, that's, that's us. So, so those are our batteries. And so the ears connect to our batteries. It's also the ears are the one sense we can't close. You can close your nose, you can close your eyes, you can close your mouth. You can't, good luck, you can stick your fingers in your ears and you know scream la la la, I guess like a child, but you can't really you know, do, do, you know, do that. So there's just something so magical about sound. And what we were just talking about, the ancient character uh, the Chinese character for medicine is a combination of music and herbs. And that's going back, you know, thousands of thousands of years. So sound as medicine, you know, okay, one more thing about this. I had this, this was, this was not intentional. Um, but I wrote this album a few years ago. I did, it's called the five elements of Omani Padme Hom. And Omani Padme Hom is a, is a famous Buddhist mantra. Om, six syllables, Omani Padme Hom. So there's a whole teaching in that, but that's for maybe for another time. And, you know, I, I did five elements, Omani Padme Home from a wood version, Omani Padme Home from a fire version, et cetera. And one of my students was in hospice. You know, she did in hospice. And, you know, so like home, home hospice. And so, you know, there's a lot of drugs that go on in home hospice. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relay her story. I was not there. It's this woman, she was at the end. 
and she was up and screaming and yelling and just having a fit. She put on the album, actually CD, like old school CD player. And she said in like 10 seconds, huh, she dropped and just got very calm and got peaceful. And, you know, 30 minutes later passed away. And I got, I mean, I, when she told me the story, I got, I got chills. I mean, it wasn't the reason for writing, you know, writing the music, but it was end of life and having some tranquility at the end of life. And so what she went on to do, and it's in process now of doing a, a study of using sound as opposed to drugs at end of life which ties in exactly into your profession and everything and our <laughs> listeners and you know what we're doing and, and, and the power of that because hey last i checked there's no side effects with sound you know last i checked there's no copay you know there's not a big every pharmaceutical the whole list of side effects and all the nasty stuff well you're not going to get that with sound you know so using sound as therapy and sound as medicine very very powerful but we're up you know the the <laughs> The, the downside is, 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 you know, it's hard to compete against a pharmaceutical company and it's hard to you know, monetize that in the same way that they monetize all the drugs. So it's a little, you know, up, up against a big uh, Godzilla here. But the, but the point of, of the, the sound is just so, so, pow you know, powerful, a, a, as you know, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> but it's, it's a nice to uh, be seen. <laughs> <laughs> by people who are not necessarily music therapists, but a lot, a lot of us do work in hospice. And um, I did some time working in hospice. And one of the things that I was able to do that the rest of the staff wasn't able to do was continue to document decline. Because a person who is put on hospice care can be taken off hospice care if they are not declining anymore. And so what other people were seeing as oh. just baseline, this person was staying the same. I could say, well, no, two weeks ago she was singing with me. A week ago, you know, this is what I was seeing because the music gets into the brain so much deeper and you, you can see those changes happening. Um, but like you said, also just using it as a beautiful way to help transition. I've heard of hospice music therapists being you know, nighttime calls to go to a house with, uh, I'm thinking of a specific story with a child. Um, they went to the house and was there with the family when the child passed. And over time they had made this legacy project. And so the music therapist played the song that this family had mm. made for this child as they wow. walked the child out of the home. So yeah, beautiful things that we can be doing that are not quite as recognized as pharmaceutical offerings at yeah. this point. <laughs> Yeah, but I oh hit my desk there. I love that you said you're you're talking to mostly musicians, so feel free to get as technical as you'd like. You are classically trained. You went to Berkeley, um, and so what are some of those like technical aspects of music that you make sure to tie into your meditation tracks? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So. Uh... I actually, I took 20 years off of writing music professionally. I, I did basically nothing in music for 20 years. So, so I did all the training as my, as a kid, I went to Berkeley, I, I did all that training. And then I got really, at the same time, I was really into the Zen training and to the medicine. And I was in my early twenties and I said, okay, I, I, I need to, you know, just basically make a decision. What's going to be one and one, what's going to be two, you know, mm -hmm. music or, you know, some of the medicine and meditation. And so I, I said, I'm going to go with this. So I, basically took 20 years off of, of, of doing anything. I did all my Zen training, you know, my personal training, built the organization, raised a family, stuff like that. And it wasn't until like seven years ago that I, that I came back to it. And I mean, but I can even remember at age 19 realizing it was all the same. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know how it was the same. And I couldn't picture what I'd be doing 30 years later. But I re remember like, wow, whether I'm swinging a sword or conducting an orchestra, it's the same whether I'm strumming a guitar or, you know, doing yoga postures, doing a sun salutation, and you know, it's the same. And it was all, it was all so clear to me as a kid that this is all the same thing. It's just different vehicles and different skillful means to ultimately get to the same, the same point. So, okay. So when I came back seven, when I came back, it's been, been about seven years, I had to really like think through what am I going to do? And because being classically trained and being actually trained has its upside and downside. Yeah. 
the upside is you learn a lot of stuff and you, and you know stuff and your head gets filled. The downside is that you can kind of develop an inferiority complex. You always think you suck because you were told you sucked as a kid and this isn't right. Your fingers aren't round and no, this is then you have to do this and it has to be this way. And, you know, so there's a real like serious, you know, I don't know what you call it, imposter syndrome, inferiority complex, you know, it can mess up your head when having all this, all this training. It's like, you always think you suck. And, and so, okay. So I had to really think, I mean, I'm in my forties now. So, you know, when I, when I was coming, when I came back to it, like, I don't know, 43, 44, something like that, when I started thinking about it and actually I didn't even want to do it. It was my business partner, um, you know, kept saying, you know, write music for our organization. I'm like, I don't want to do it. It's too much work. Cause I know how much work it was. I did, I don't want to do it. You know, finally convinced me to, and I did one album that I couldn't stop. Now I can't, I can't stop, but I wanted to, I can't, I, I tried to stop a few times. I couldn't. <laughs> and so, but here, here was the thought process I, I, I had to go through. I had to say, okay, what am I going to do? Well, guess what? I'm never going to be the best at playing Bach on the piano. Mm. I can play Bach. I'll never be the best. I'm never going to be the best at show, playing Chopin on the piano. I can play Chopin. I can't. I'm never going to be the best jazz pianist. You know, I was, I don't play that anymore, but I was trained, I was trained as a kid, as a, as, as, as a jazz pianist. At one point in my life, I, I did. I don't even listen to jazz anymore, but at one point I really did. And so what can I be the best at? Like, like what can I be the absolute best in the world? Well, there was only one thing. I could be the best in the world at playing Jason Campbell music. No one can do that better than me. Yes. <laughs> now, granted, I'm only competing with one person. So, yeah, like you automatically win. You're simultaneous. It's like having a sporting league and you're the only team. So you come in first place. And so I said, okay, all I need to do and focus on is be the best version of me in this, like in, in doing music. Don't try and be anybody else. And, and everyone else has a different sound and different things they do. It doesn't matter. And actually for what I did for a while, I stopped listening to anything else. I didn't mm -hmm. want to even have, I didn't want to listen to anything. I mean, that's not a long-term plan. You know, you go through phases of like yeah. listening to a lot of music and you might go phases of listening to nothing. I, I go through long phases where I only listen to my music. And I'm like, if I'm working on something, you know, I'm listening to drafts as I'm doing as I walk up a mountain, I listen to a draft, I come back down, I work it. I don't want like anything else. And so that was kind of liberating. It was almost like that was, that was like the breaking of the chains of all of my training. And it doesn't matter. And, and what any of my teachers, my peers, anything doesn't matter. And, and what they think doesn't matter. Because sometimes you get into your head, like you think it matters or you, you think someone's thinking about you when they're not thinking about you. Only you're thinking about them thinking about you. So it's like, you've got to drop all that stuff. And let's be, you know, let's just be this version. So it's like, okay, so what does that look like? And I started with a little simple album. I'll tell you the hardest thing was retooling and relearning all the technology because obviously the mm -hmm. technology changed. But what I was, I don't know, in retrospect, it seems silly, but at the time, what I really realized was, hey, the 12 notes didn't change. Because you step away from an industry for 20 years and you come back into it, there's a really good chance that like, you know, step away from technology for 20 years and come back in, see how skilled you are. See what you can do. Uh -uh. So, you know, so I came back, I was, I was thinking, Oh, you know, did I lose everything? Did, you know, do I know anything Did the world pass me up? You know what happened? And it's like, Oh no, the 12 notes are still the 12 notes. Okay. That didn't change. Sound is still sound. People are still people. The human condition is still the human condition. The, the technology changed. So I had to learn engineering. I, but like when I was trained as a composer, you didn't have to be an engineer. No. Also, you didn't have to mix your own stuff. So I had to go back and learn that and learn the DAWs and the software and the, you know, and, okay. So that was just a skill set. It's like a, it's a trade. And so I, I, I learned that, but that's, you know, just in support of the artistry, mm. you know, and then it, and then the artistry just continued to evolve. So after the one album, I do, I like to do things in arcs usually of nine. There's a spiritual reason for that. There's a spiritual number. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do nine albums. And actually the, my first nine were kind of based on a little of the Beethoven Ninth Symphony arc of wow. the key changes. And, and, and all I knew was like, I remember being on like album three and working on that. And I said, you know, and, and, and the, you know, cause the, the you know, the, he didn't really change it. I don't know how much you go into the history, but it was, the, it was his third symphony where he really started to, you know, go off the ranch. 
And then I said, okay, I don't know what's going to happen on my ninth album, but all I know, it has to be completely different than all my first eight. <laughs> and it has to be like a dimension above and I have to do something I hadn't done and something that's totally different. I have no idea what that is from the viewpoint of the third album, but I know that's all I, I have to know. And then, you know, sure enough, it, it, it came back. The ninth in that, in that series was the only album I wrote in English. Huh. It was my only, I've only, I've only done one album in English and that was that one. And I wrote uh, five element poetry. So it's the poetry on explaining the five elements. And then I used three instruments, piano, voice, and violin, symbolic of matter, energy, and consciousness. Mm. So it was three instruments, five elements with poetry. My, my little sister uh, sang, I've, I've done four albums with her. She's a beautiful singer. And, you know, I put that together. And then, you know, so then I remember I finished it. I remember, I remember getting the final master. It's like, I worked, it's, you know, it took a, you know years to do this, do this project. I remember, in, in my original plan was I was going to be it. I'm done. I did my nine. I said what I had to say. It's here. I did. I taught the five elements, the six energies, the seven chakras. It's all in the music. Nothing more to do. And I remember getting the final master of it before it was released. You know, when you get, it's usually a few months before you get it. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, it's done. I'm done. I finished it. And I went and did something else. An hour later, a little voice in my head said, "Score the eaching." Like, no, <laughs> no, really? <laughs> and I'm over a hundred albums into scoring the <laughs> since then. And that's, that's solo piano, but solo piano is so much easier to produce. I mean, one of the reasons mm -hmm. I, I can produce it, if it's just a solo piano, uh, I, I play a 1917 Mason Hamlin. I drop tune it to 432. So it's about a third of a note. I, I, I drop it down. And, uh, you know, as you know, the solo instrument is so much easier to produce than with choirs and orchestras and you know stuff that's more that's more complicated so that's one of the reason because it's a very uh speedy production process mm -hmm. you know mixing one instrument's a lot easier than mixing you know mixing and then and then that, that evolved and so the I Ching is an ancient language of symbols and, you know and that's something we teach and so it's like okay what if i translated that into sound and what if i had you know it's a base of there's these eight symbols um, you know, and there's, again, it's archetypes. It's kind of like the five elements on steroids. And so then they each, you know, you have heaven, valley, thunder, fire, earth, wind, uh, mountain, and water. So there, there's eight of them. And so, you know, I gave each of them a theme. You know, there's a thunder theme and a mountain theme. And, you know, I, I like to think of it like the Avengers, you know, they each, it's these, <laughs> they're characters. And then there's these 64 variations where these characters mix and there's a teaching in all of them you know, and it's kind of profound. And then there's variations on the 64. So there, there's over 10,000 different variations. And so I just started, you know, like the turtle, just one song, one song, one song, and scoring these, you know, putting these symbols into sound because there's a teaching in each symbol. But I try to really bypass words. You try and go from symbol to sound. Mm -hmm. And and, and then that brand is Zen Piano. I mean, you can zenpiano.com uh, you can check it out. And, and then as that evolved, then I got a, a phone call from a, a company, brilliant, brilliant company called Focus at Will. And what the Focus at Will, it's, it's right up kind of what you do. It's, there, it's total cutting edge. It's, it's the brain science of using sound for focus. And they have all these studies. It's actually their IP, their intellectual property. So they haven't even released it. And I'm kind of fortunate because I did, I did a 10 hours of music project with them with the Zen piano. I re-recorded the Zen piano, and we put in the brain entrainment. Mm -hmm. um, that was some of their IP that you know that we put it in the sound to help focus, and, and it's amazing what happens. You just put it on the headphones. It's, it's almost like it was a fun project because it was music you don't listen to. So I'm writing music to not be listened to, and so you put it on, and it's very slight in the background. You can actually feel it in your head, and it just helps you have a higher attention span and be more focused. And you know the Zen piano is spacious. Because mm. and so it's a lot, a lot of creatives like the Zen piano. Uh, some people like don't like the space. You know, for some brains they like you know heavy and hard. Yep. And, you know, I was, I was talking to this woman. She's an artist. She's like you know 14, brilliant, brilliant kid, a, a little girl. And um, I was just helping over some some artistic things. Uh, you know, just about you know concepts and thinking of it. And the music she likes is like heavy, hard. She sleeps to like heavy metal. Yep. And, you know, she thought, you know, what's wrong with me? It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Stop it. It's just like some brains actually like that. You know, sometimes the ADD and the ADHD need like the real heavy stuff. And actually, when you there are certain studies that some of that music will light up the same parts of the brain as ADD drugs. Mm -hmm. yep. You can get that some of that some of the heavy stuff. Now, if I listen to that stuff, I'd go nuts. 
So yeah, she liked it. <laughs> well, so that's making me think um, a lot of times when we start sessions with clients in order to get them focused and grounded, we have to do some of that entrainment through different things. Or maybe we're working with someone who has um, anxiety, depression, some of those mental health challenges. And so obviously you have some wonderful music that we can access and use in our clinical settings. But if we're in a situation, say, where all I have is my guitar, I don't have time to grab a recording uh, and I needed to do like some type of meditative relaxation, what are some techniques, maybe guitar isn't as familiar for you, but you know, a piano in front of me, what are some, some like very musical, um, techniques or applications that you'd be like, definitely try this, this, and this, because this is what I have found works. Well, okay. So that's a a really good question. So if you're in a situation where you're, you know, you're working with someone and obviously it depends on who's in front of you and what the (laughs) the capacity is and all that, but but let me, there's one thing. If you can add breath, Mm. add the breath, you'll get so much more like, uh, Oh, ROI return on your investments because we train a lot of therapists like not necessarily music therapists just you know talk therapists yeah and what we do is we get the talk therapists to do breathing exercises with their clients and when you can do the breath the breath regulate the emotion mm-hmm. because a lot of times there's an emotional imbalance and mo- emotion is motion emotion it's the flow through of feelings but where so much suffering comes from is you think you're your emotion. It's even in our language. See, our language is really messed up. Our language is great for suffering. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to suffer, you, you use standard language. And one great way of suffering and creating more suffering is to say something like, I am angry. You say, wait a minute, I am angry. I'm not angry. I'm a little dollop of consciousness temporarily hanging out in a big bag of flesh called a body. I might have anger energy running through me. Oh. So it's not, I am angry. Cause the moment you say I am angry, you identified with the emotion and you think you're the emotion. Mm-hmm. Now you're lost in matter. You're lost in form. You forgot the eternal I am. So if you even switch the language and say, Hey, I have anger type energy running through me right now because it's real. And you know, and you, we can say Zen and you can be a Zen master. It doesn't mean you don't have emotions. I still have emotions. Good luck with not having emotions. If you, you know, and emotions actually hang out in different organs. Anger hangs out in the liver. Grief hangs out in the lungs. Worry hangs out in the stomach and spleen. Fear hangs out in the kidneys and shock hangs out in the heart. They figured this out thousands of years ago. And so it's not, I am angry. It's I have anger type energy running through me. Now there's a little space between you and the emotion. And the breath also regulates the emotion. It's like you purge emotions through breath. You know, and actually most people don't know this. Uh, You actually fat leaves the body through breath. You know, so if you're doing any type of exercise and, you know, you want to purge, you know, emotion and also, you know, there's a question of where does fat go? You know, when someone loses weight, where does it go? There's a science. It actually goes out through your mouth and through the breath and through, you know, the the exhalation. So deep breathing exercise and, you know, breath mastery is a form of, you know, uh, you know, emotional mastery. So one thing you can do is a little thing and you can just kind of make this up and play with it on the field. In, you know, in the field, breathe with a chord, strum a chord, and then and strum another chord, and then strum another chord. So, so that would be one thing. The other thing is if you can get someone to listen, like that'd be attention span issue, depends on what you're dealing with. Yeah. But if you can get somebody to listen to a note dissolve into nothingness, mm. that's power. They actually, if you've ever heard a temple bell, I don't have one in front of me right now, but there's a, it, it's two little bells, you go ding, mm-hmm. and they're usually like a half step half step apart so i can say that to this group and so it creates the distance it goes it has that and then it's that's unintentionally and the temp the teaching of the temple bell is you ring the temple bell then go and you listen to what i was talking about earlier that moment of something into nothing and dissolving into nothingness so if you can get someone to listen to silence listen to nothing and get them to breathe those two things are powerful, you know, and if you can do any type of, I mean, movement, breath, movement, and intention, mm-hmm. if you can do, you know, movement, that, that's like part of our whole Zen wellness program. There's a, a series of, you know, Qigong, it's a combo, Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, it's just all the stuff we've accumulated over three decades uh, in movements and, you know, kind of put together 
and put it, it's simplified. A lot of this stuff is complicated. So we, we, we simplified everything and put them together in these little five, and hey, five minutes. Here's the movement, here's the breath, here's the intention, here's the music, you know, do this for five minutes and you're gonna feel better. And it's gonna purge emotion. You know, your, your body will feel better. You'll feel, you'll feel more alive uh, what happens. So, so these like little tools, but, but always if you can add breath, breath and, breath and listening and you know, listening to silence. Love that. Very nice. I actually didn't know that about the temple bells, but I can't tell you how many of my clients love the half step on the piano. Like if they could just go up and play half steps on the piano, they love that way more than any major chord, any minor chord. So that would be interesting to see what about that, um, that oscillation, what that's firing in the brain and why they're so attracted to it. Well, and you know, if you go into some of the brain science, um, you know, the, the brain has different states mm. and each of those states has a different frequency, mm-hmm. you know, and that yeah. was like our project with the, you know, with the focus music. And with the focus music, it was based on, you know, there's the frequency that we used and that vibration to light up that part of your brain, which like, don't listen to that music when you're trying to sleep. Like if you listen to that music before you sleep, it's, it's just, it's going to wake up a part of your brain. It's going to actually make it harder to sleep. I have a whole sleep project coming up that will probably come out next year, you know, music to sleep, but it, you know, and it's not just soothing music. The soothing music is nice, but you go into really the science of what, frequencies and at what vibration you know and there's also a sleep arc you know mm-hmm. it's not like you just drop in and it's the same there's different times when you go into REM sleep and how long it takes to go into REM sleep you know there's a whole a whole science behind that so so that's a that's a next year project uh that I'm working on uh now with, with the zen piano for sleep love it I'll keep an eye out for that I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Master Campbell and are looking forward to part two. He is a wealth of knowledge. Always, I always learn so much from him and feel that his teachings and my conversations with him are deep and profound and thought-provoking, and I really appreciate him making the time to, to share that with us today. I hope you're excited for part two next week. As always, please find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles so you can stay up to date on all the things going on behind the scenes. If you want to know who's coming up on the show next, join our newsletter at um, uh, musictherapychronicles.com. And check out MT Podcast Collective for pod course opportunities if you want to earn CMTEs for listening to the show. Just a reminder that the episode feedback survey is always listed at the end of the show notes. Feel free to give any honest and open feedback about the episodes, about the show in general, or anything else you want to share over on that feedback survey. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Our quote this week is, you are enough just as you are.